1: Welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. I'm Ricky Mast, Atlanta Braves Digital Media Content Manager, virtually via Zoom, alongside Braves Director of Alumni Relations, Greg McMichael. We are fresh off of our first outing on the golf course together yesterday. <laughs> Greg is, yeah. is pretty much playing on one leg right now and is still out there looking like he's ready to go on the senior PGA tour. <laughs> I look like I just picked up a golf club for the first time yesterday morning. Greg, you can 20 years. Yep, yep. He's <laughs> nodding his head. Yes, he is confirming that. We went and had a had a good time at the Hit em For Hemophilia tournament an uh, Alpharetta yesterday. So thank you for inviting me. I know I didn't help the team. I did go back and look at this or I thought I thought made I a putt. I made one shot. I made a putt. So I can't remember if that was to save par for a birdie, but I made one putt. So I contributed to the team one shot, maybe, but I did contribute. So. That
2: was birdie. That was birdie.
1: It's a birdie. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I can I remember into it. Well, it. yeah, well, that's I do too. <laughs> I'm remembering that. And I'm going to pretend like some of the other shots never happened and there you go. So, you weren't that bad. You for
2: not picking up a club and having clubs from 1982. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you, you were pretty
1: strong, I will say. <laughs> my, my clubs so they might classify as vintage now. I mean, <laughs> but you know, uh, it's funny. my my fiance and I, we had a, a storage unit here. We've got a lot of our stuff uh, stored in there. And the storage unit we had our stuff stored in had a, a partial like roof collapse and water damage mm-hmm. all throughout it. So my golf bag, my old golf bag, was ruined. But unfortunately, the clubs were perfectly fine. <laughs> so, so I had no. Let's just say they weren't wooden. No, no, they wouldn't. I wish they would have been. Could have gotten new ones. But anywho, uh, well, we're we are in a good mood because uh, like we said the last couple of weeks, it's October. It's October 20th as we're sitting here and the Braves are still playing Mm. baseball. And man, that is that's what we're that's what it's all about. It's exciting. As we're sitting here last night was the game was game three of the NLCS at Dodger Stadium. A little bit of a, uh, I don't know, if a gut punch is the word. But hey, we we took a we took a punch. We've been winning for over a week, hadn't lost in a while, and had some pretty incredible wins in that span so there's, there's a reason we went with battle as our, our marketing campaign for this postseason I mean
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's not it's never just going to be easy it's it's going to be hard and it's going to be earned if you make it the whole way so that was a tough one last night but still sitting here 2-1 Braves are up 2-1 the series feeling pretty good about that and we decided to get one of your old teammates and broadcaster for the Houston Astros I guess he's on pregame, postgame, that kind of thing yeah at and
2: Fox Sports Southwest uh, yeah. for,
1: for the um, Houston Astros. Yes, Mike Stanton, long time. I remember him watching him pitch when I was a, a youngster alongside you in that Braves bullpen for many years. Uh, man, what a career. I've been playing mm-hmm. in the big leagues for darn near a couple, two decades, right? Something yeah. Like that. So, one, one year shot, 20 seasons. That's incredible. It's yeah. I feel like anybody that makes it in this game for multiple seasons, five seasons, I think is, is a heck of a run. A decade is amazing. So to go almost two decades, that shows you a, how good he was, but also b how hard he had to work to stay in the game that long. So yeah, you and him go back to, let's see, he would have been on the team when you were a rookie in 93. Is that right? Yeah.
2: 93, four, five, and then um, played against him the rest of the time. Yeah. He was, he was a good one. Um, like you said, I mean, he was an all-star. He has unbelievable. Just looking at his postseason numbers, I mean, when you think about how he was in six different World Series, two with the Braves, four with the Yankees, he had a three and zero with a one point five in those World Series games, and then he in eleven straight seasons he was in the postseason with five and two with a two point one ERA, and that's over fifty-five innings. He had uh, in, just in postseason play. I mean, that's just amazing when you really think about a, a career. I mean, that's a career in and of itself. No, I don't. There's not many guys that can boast of that that kind of um, you know that kind of record, that kind of uh, longevity just in the postseason. And you know, there's something to be said for guys who do well in the postseason. I talk about job security. I mean, guys like a, a Jock Peterson who when nobody else is playing, all the GMs are looking and you're performing well, that makes them want to sign you right after the World Series. So guys like Mike who who uh, had great uh, postseason careers, GMs are watching. All the teams are watching. You know, during the season, not everybody, maybe the scouts are watching you, but in the postseason, all the GMs, I guarantee you're watching these guys. They're like, oh, I like the way this guy pitches. I like the way this guy hits he's a gamer, I think I might want to sign him for next year because as soon as the World Series is over,
1: they start signing guys, right? Right, and 11 straight years in the postseason with four different teams, and that streak started when there were a lot less teams that even made the postseason, and (laughs) so to go from club to club to club to club, And still be, each of those clubs be a contender and make the postseason every year. That does tell you, well, that speaks to exactly what you were just saying there, that GMs would see him pitch in the postseason and they would say, I've got to get that guy in my bullpen or on my staff next year. So really, really interesting conversation with him. You can tell that he is definitely a pro broadcaster because how easily he's able to just break things down and well, just discuss what's happening right now. He's we're hoping, as we kind of said at the end of the interview, there we're we're hoping to go get to see him in person next week or or if we go to Boston, that's fine too. I'm I'm not picky. Either one sounds lovely this time of year. But uh, <laughs> it'd be good if we, go to, if we manage to make it past this round. Uh, it'd be cool to see Mike in Houston. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get right to it then. Without further ado, here he is, Mike Stanton. And
0: that's the case as Sid Green makes the catch. Mike Stanton and the Atlanta Braves will head home for game six.
2: Well, hey, Mike, thanks so much for joining us on Behind the Braves. Uh, I, I, I wrote you on my board probably about two months ago like, hey, I, we, we got to get Mike on. I was telling Ricky about you. We were former teammates. We played in the early to mid-90s with the Braves. And I said, Mike's been in broadcasting. Um, and then especially with Houston coming on, I said, man, we got to get him on there. So I had, you, I had you marked down for a while. I'm glad we finally connected. And uh, so we appreciate you hanging out with us a little bit today.
0: Yeah, no problem at all. Yeah, it's uh it's been a long time since you and I have had a chance to catch up. You know, I I am obviously a, an alumni of the Braves, so I get all your emails and everything, but we just haven't got to be, you know, live and in person together. So it's good to, <laughs> good to speak with you again. That's right. Well, good deal.
2: Well, I know you've done some some good work with the Astros, even though it's the Astros. I'm I'm always <laughs> proud of our alumni that are that are still in the game i mean i think about guys like ronnie gantt mark grant and um you know we get the guys here frank core and brian jordan so a ton of guys peter moylan nick green that are all involved in broadcasting i love it because it seems like we have and of course smoltzy and glab we got more guys than anybody that are still in the game and so in all aspects so it's always i'm always proud to say oh yeah that guy he's one of our alumni and he's doing really well and Um, So I I did want to ask you a little bit about just um, what was the transition like for you going from, my gosh, you played forever. It seemed like I can't believe I look back at your numbers and how you played. I I definitely want to get into the postseason on how well you did in the postseason. But I would like just to tell the audience, because this has kind of been a theme, a lot of, of the things that we've done on the podcast, talking about alumni who transitioned well and what you did from your post, you know, from your playing career, and then you jumped right in and you've been broadcasting for a while. Tell us a little bit about how that went for you and what was the process like?
0: Well, it, it really wasn't something, I mean, I had always thought that I might enjoy uh, broadcasting after I was done playing, but it wasn't something that really, that I really pursued really hard. Actually to tell you the truth, the first thing I did as soon as I stopped playing was, um, was I started coaching and I coached at Don Bosco Prep up in New Jersey. My son was going there. I coached there for a couple of years and then we decided to move back down here to Texas. Uh, and once I got down here, the first thing I did was, well, more coaching, got into <laughs> private coaching, ended up opening a facility down here with Chad Fox, another Braves alumni. Hmm. And, um, you know, I've kind of been involved in, in that aspect. You know private coaching um really since i retired since about 2010 um so it, it was it, you know that was kind of a, a, an easy transition especially you know the last few years of my, my career i kind of viewed myself as a player coach anyways you know i really tried to mentor the younger players you know i even had a, a little spiel that i would give young players that came up from the minor <laughs> leagues to help them transition you know deal with the the extra deck on the stadium deal with the extra pressure and 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 not be you know when i came up Some of the guys were pretty hard on on us. You know, we can't you you were a little bit after I was. But, you know, there was a there was a there was an old guard that was taking care of Major League Baseball at the time. And there was some hazing and nothing, nothing serious or anything like that. But, you know, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to take a different route because I knew a lot of times those young players were going to be the players that would help us win. And that was the one thing that always drove me was, was that will to win and kind of do anything that I needed to do to um, to help the team win and and collect rings. Hmm.
2: Well, you were a great competitor. And, and of course, you know, I, I remember you well because you you had some great years when I was in the minor leagues, your first, you know, I guess you came up in what were you drafted in 87, you came drafted up in 89. Right. Yeah, so you were part of the great Braves runs from the the last of first team to Sid Slid team and then on into, you know, even our World Series team, you got traded in the middle of the year, but you were still a big part of that. And the 93, we had a great team. So, But what's amazing for you, that never changed. I mean, you continue to be on those great Yankee teams. And, uh, I mean, I just – when I look back, I'm thinking, gosh, all the World Series you played in – season, uh, you just had great numbers. And I'll just throw one. I mean, you were 3-0 and with a with a 1-5 in just all the World Series games. You pitched in six different World Series. So I'm sure that was a, a great help to a lot of those players. But one thing when I think about you, I think about, obviously, you are you were so durable. Uh, you were a left-handed pitcher. You threw hard. And then you kind of continued to reinvent yourself. I mean, nobody pitches for that long, right? Nobody pitches for that long without having to come up with more and more uh pitches and and then just executing. So um I I admire you for all that you did there and and uh but but talk a little bit about as we're in the postseason now and you look at these great series whether it's Boston at Houston or whether it's the Braves and, and the Dodgers, what do you see? Let's talk about the the Astros series first. What do you think the the turning point for those guys it, what's the major point that's going to happen for the Astros to, to bring it home?
0: Well, I think for any team right now, and it is so different than when you, know, you and I played together. Even you go all the way back to you know the last year's I made the playoffs was 2002. I mean, it's just so incredibly different now. Now there is almost no emphasis at all on starting pitching. And, you know, the, the, the Braves teams that we played on, that was the main emphasis was starting pitching. And now, I mean, you're seeing if you get uh, you get a starting pitcher that goes five innings in a playoff game. Now they pitched great. They did an outstanding job. They in like, what it's only five innings. It's not even a quality start. You remember Leo, <laughs> yeah, <that's> Mazzoni. Right. <laughs> Leo Mazzoni used to complain when they moved a quality start from seven innings and three runs to six innings. And let yeah. tell you the <laughs> truth, three runs in six innings, that's a four and a half ERA. That is like the definition of mediocre. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, what we have now with the analytics and, and, and not letting these pitchers go through the lineup, well, heck, not the third time, sometimes not even the second time, it, you know, this emphasis on the relievers. And I've been saying this, You know, for years now, since we've been going through this, that it doesn't matter how good your stuff is. Every pitcher can suffer from overexposure. And that's why I think, you know, both of these series that are going on right now, you can't critique them. You have no idea what's going to happen because you really have no idea what the bullpens are going to look like in a game six or game seven. (laughs) Yeah, that's right.
1: That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, we're we're sitting here, we're taping this at three o'clock uh, Eastern time, and we still we know that the Braves have a bullpen game tonight, but we still don't know who's actually starting it. So, uh, so this will
0: be the second one during that series. You got to, the Dodgers did it in game one. How about that? How about they didn't have a starting pitcher to throw? Then in game two, they go to a 37 year old right hander and Max Scherzer, uh and on short rest. And it's just incredible how these teams, and this is all teams, this is, this is across the board in major league baseball. Mm -hmm. Some are a little bit better than others, but I mean, it's just amazing that, you know, the starting pitchers, I mean, it's, it's almost a side note who's actually starting the game.
1: Yeah. I think if I'm not mistaken, I think the Dodgers are going to throw another bullpen game tomorrow. If uh, very well could be right. So, so a lot of times, kind of how we approach Greg and I approach things on this show, I, People have listened to us know that I grew up a Braves fan, so I watched you guys in the '90s on TBS and all that, and that was what sparked my love for the game and and this team. But we usually take things from Greg, as a former player, has his perspective and his questions, and then I, from the fan side, I have my questions. So I'm just curious, and you, this is for both of you, pitching in the postseason versus the regular season internally, do you feel more? Pressure? Is there any difference or is it still just feel the same
0: to you when you go out there uh, on the mound? It's it's not the same. And I don't want to say it's pressure because I've always felt, uh, even back when Greg and I were playing together, um, pressure was something that was self-imposed. A situation doesn't put pressure on you unless you elect to feel that pressure. But You know, I was a max effort, really aggressive guy. So I had to spend a lot of the postseason, well, even regular season. I had to spend a lot of the time kind of pulling back on the range, trying to keep my emotions in check because I was, you know, I kind of pitched with like a linebacker football mentality. You know, I was going to go as hard as I could, as long as I could. And that was something that I, you know, I got better at, obviously, as the fastball velocity came down. Greg was talking about how you reinvent yourself. You throw a couple extra pitches or you, you come up with a new pitch, which I did. After about eleven or twelve years in the game, I came up with a split finger fastball. Um, You know, just trying to get better. You know, that's one of the things. uh, One of the things we always try and do is if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And whether it's your command, whether it's your mechanics, whether it's your mentality, or coming up with a new pitch, we're always tinkering, always trying to find something to help us get hitters out and help us become better baseball players. So. Uh, But pitching in the postseason, the the really incredible thing, you know, I was blessed to pitch in 11 straight postseasons. Now, I did that with four different baseball clubs. So, you know, it's a little different than, you know, guys like guys like Glavin, who did it all with the Braves, you know, so it was um, each year is different, though. You know, some years you go in, you're throwing the ball well, you're really aggressive, you're throwing strikes when you make a mistake, they don't hit. And then there's other times that you're not throwing the ball as well. Or maybe I didn't pull back on the reins quite enough and I would get I would get too emotional and get, you know, going too fast. And, you know, it's just something every pitcher is so different. But I was always a guy that, you know, I couldn't be I really couldn't be more aggressive than I really was. And there were times I would actually get too far, and things would come. Things would kind of get out of control. But that was that was my mentality. And I know other players that that you know were were much better at it, or even had completely different approach. But you know the whole idea of pitching in the postseason, I really tried to just belittle the whole situation. And what I mean by that is, you know, hey, you still got to throw the ball, you still got to catch the ball, you still got to hit the ball, and. You know, my job was to go execute a pitch. It didn't matter if I was pitching in spring training or pitching in the seventh game of the World Series. My job never changed. And that was one of the things that really helped keep me grounded and keep me focused on what my real job was to do. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I've told people in the past that
2: a lot of the the playoffs – Atmosphere is about you go from maybe talking to three or four media people to, to <laughs> you know constantly signing all the baseballs and you've got all the hoopla surrounding it.
0: Right? There's yeah, there's a lot of things. Great years, prior to the '94 strike, <laughs> I mean, there were we were signing literally over a hundred dozen baseballs, and I can remember one of the years uh, we went down two and o two uh, in the World Series. And then everybody's scrambling to get these balls signed in case, in case it was a sweep, you know, because yep. you want to make sure you got the ball signed. Now, as far as the media is concerned, you know, Atlanta was okay, but they are kind of soft in Atlanta. They're soft here in Houston. You need to go on to the playoffs <laughs> in it's- New York. That's a
2: little That's different right. situation. <laughs> That's right. I, I still laugh. Um, I tell people that, you know, it was crazy when we remember when we lost in Philadelphia in 93. They yeah. beat us and they still were rocking our bus after the game. Right. Yeah. And then in New York, at least was smart enough to put horses around our bus because the fans would probably have done the
0: same thing. Right. Thank you, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> Yeah, that's right.
2: That's right. Well, um, I know you pay close attention to everything that's going on and you, you know, probably know that the Astros team, um, a lot better than, you know, the Braves team, but, um, but when you look at that Astros team, it looks like that series is pretty neck and neck. You feel pretty good about the Astros being, uh, going to the next level.
0: Well, you do now than before the game last night. And I think that because the Astros lost in such spectacular form in game two and game three, giving up three grand slams and just ridiculous number of runs early in the game, the game's being out of hand really almost before it got started. I think people, especially fans, they get so emotional about it that thought the series was over. And you're like, well, hold on. It's still only, you're still only down two games to one. And I'll tell you what, their bullpen did an amazing job last night holding down a offense that's about as hot as you could possibly get in the Boston mm-hmm. Red Sox. So, you know, uh, it's it's like, again, it's hard to critique what's going to happen, you know, with Chris Sale going tonight uh, against Jose Urquini. You know, the Astros have handled Chris Sale pretty easily, like his last four starts. Um, And you also don't know how far Chris Sale can go because he's basically still in spring Mm. training right now. Um, Jose Urquidy should be much better. He didn't pitch for like three weeks. And this is a guy that usually has a real, even he's only 25 years old, has a real feel of how to move the ball around, how to read swings. Uh, He got a little tentative in that second inning. So I wouldn't expect him to do that again. But like I said, the state of both bullpens is uh, absolute disaster. Everybody has pitched too much and you're only halfway through the series. So yeah. who knows? do they have a chance? Of course they do. I mean, they're a very, yeah. very good team, but you know what? The Red Sox are also just like the two teams in the national. Mm.
2: Yeah. And I, and I've said this from the beginning, when you have home field advantage, you that's really the biggest thing that you could probably do. Astros got to go back, play two at home, right? The Braves get to come back, play two at home. But uh, yeah, it, it seems to be a toss up. Of course, you know, this morning on talk radio, the Braves fans were like everybody's panicking and we're up two to one. I mean so <laughs> I mean right. that's playoff baseball for you right there.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you heard if you heard what Charlie Steiner said, the the radio voice of the Dodgers. Oh okay. he said, you know, because you gotta remember the, the Braves have you know, they won the first two games and they were winning. Game three up until the very, very end for the first what, mm-hmm. eight innings or seven innings, they were winning that game. So they've been winning most of the time. Yeah, they lost in, in rather spectacular form also. But uh, Charlie Steiner said that the momentum had switched so much that he actually feels that the Dodgers are up one game to two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like, Charlie that that might be you might be overstating just a little bit but the whole that point sounds was, like somebody from California that sounds like somebody that was a homer that's definitely yeah, that's is. right that's,
2: there,
1: there there are some writers from the LA Times that are treating the series as if the Dodgers are up one to two as well but I won't, I won't go too far down that road um, well talking about that the the game last night uh, Luke Jackson who's just been I mean he's been lights out for the Braves all year. I I work on the social media side of things and I have to say it after a loss like that I kind of a lot of times I just close the computer, shut off the phone for a little bit, let things calm down and yes. I was kind of a little worried about opening it up this morning but it warmed my heart to see most Braves fans were out there defending Luke and appreciating what he's done all year and and even Luke himself said if he had to do over again, he would probably still make that same pitch because it was the pitch he wanted to make, um, and Belgium, yeah. got it. But what I wanted to ask you both, because you're, you're relief pitchers and you pitched a lot in the postseason, is when an outing doesn't go well or doesn't go your way, is your menta- mentality, I want to get back out there the next day as soon as possible? Generally speaking, is that is that
0: kind oh. of mentality? Oh, absolutely. One Last thing you want to do is sit and think about it. And I'll tell you what most, most managers and Bobby was always very good about this. Get the guy back out there. Now in the postseason, it's a little different because you know you can't really worry about a reliever a reliever's you know psychological effect of what happened yesterday because you just got to win baseball games. But Bobby was always very good about just getting the relievers back out there as quick as possible to get get that that last thought out of your lot and you out of your mind. And you know I there, I don't think there's any doubt that Luke. For the pitch he wanted to. And I don't usually question pitch selection. I'm more of a pitch execution guy, Uh, but I think he kind of got baited by the pitch prior to the home run when he threw a fastball right down the middle and Cody Bellinger missed it by three inches underneath. Um, And I think he said, okay, well, I think I can go fastball top of the zone. That's what he did. And I'll tell you what, that was the best swing I've seen Cody Bellinger make (laughs) in probably two years. I mean, he has not, he has been, he never gives in. He's got this big uppercut swing. He's always trying to hit the ball to San Francisco. And it's, you know, it's just his approach. And, you know, he beat him on that pitch because he executed the pitch. The problem is, I think it's pretty easy to figure out what the book has been on Cody Bellinger, which is we're just going to break and ball him to death. The Giants did it. Um, you know, uh, Logan Webb. You knew the curveball was coming. He knew the curveball was coming, and he never came off of the fastball. And so, I think I don't think Bellinger did it on purpose. I think he sold out that he was going to go to the top of the zone, and he just beat him to the to the point. But the book, the scouting report before that was breaking ball, breaking ball, breaking ball, because Cody just can't really get to it, especially if it's down below the zone. He's always going to swing at it. So you know. Luke executed the pitch he wanted to execute. I just question if that was actually the right pitch selection in a situation that if he th- he throws a breaking ball inside the two batters' boxes, Bellinger was swinging.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and I and we we're not in the position that we're in without Luke Jackson. I mean, Luke sure. has been the go-to guy. You know, Mike. You know as well as I do, you got to have multiple s- setup men. To be successful, even more important than when you and I were pitching. Yeah. I mean, we only needed two or three guys. Now you need six guys uh to be able to pitch throughout a season and be successful. So, you know, Matzik's been the left-handed guy, Luke's been the right-handed guy in the eighth inning, seventh, eighth inning, and then you know, Will Smith in the ninth. So Lucas had his best year. He should could have been easily been an all-star. Yeah. Um, so you know, he's the guy that's gonna go back out there again in the minute. Oh, sure. I mean, there's Brian's there's not, no question he's not about have
0: any problem yeah. with putting it back in the game. No. I mean, he's, and that, like that, you and say, Luke, he's a big reason why they're right. there. And you know, hey, we got beat. Sometimes, you know, that's that's the nature of being a short reliever. You know, sometimes you get the bear, sometimes the bear gets you. <laughs> that's right. And Luke is fortunately, I think
2: Luke's probably You know, this is his fourth season, I believe. Is that right, Ricky? I think he's been four years, and he's kind of come into his own. And I think he's probably pretty good of having short-term memory loss like it is for a good reliever. So I, I don't anticipate there being any lingering effects with Luke. The only time he gets in trouble is when he gets behind. And you know what? He was ahead of everybody last night. And it seems like that for most of the year, he's done a pretty good job. So... Um, it, it'll be fun to watch and no matter which series you you're interested in, it's all going to be
0: good baseball, right? It's good theater. Right. That's it. <laughs> Live drama. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> that's right. that's why This time of year, even when the, you know, I cover the Astros, even some of the other teams that I played for that I quietly root for, um, I want every game to go seven games because, you know, you have one more series after that, and then we don't have baseball for five months. So I want as many games as we can possibly get. <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs> uh, my my heart can would would much rather <laughs> we just have
0: two more. <laughs> can,
1: my heart can only take so much, but I'm with I you. Can if, sympathize. If, yeah. if I will say if it, if it ends up going Game Seven or whatever, like it's it's after it's over, you can look back, even on the fan side, and just be like, "Man, what a ride! That was pretty." Right pretty amazing so yeah. i'm i'm i will be retroactively with you after this is the series <laughs> over my uh, yeah calm down that's right well hey mike i appreciate you
2: joining us today we uh we uh uh we love the braves and i know you've got a soft spot for them since sure. you, you played here and please tell debbie i uh i said hello from jennifer and i and um, oh, you guys uh, it's great catching up with you hopefully it won't be so long the next time we do it okay
0: yeah, anytime, guys. Just let me know, and we can
2: uh, we can get into things a little bit deeper. All right, sounds good. Maybe when we come to Houston next, maybe Rick and I'll go. make it out there. Maybe <laughs> maybe
1: uh, maybe we'll come to Houston next week. Just putting that out in the universe. Oh, oh, oh hey, there you go. There. Yeah? <laughs> that would be good. All right, buddy. You have a good week.
2: Hey, thanks, thanks for having me.
1: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Our thanks again to former Braves pitcher, current Astros broadcaster, Mike Stanton for joining us here on behind the Braves. Well, we've got two more games as we're sitting here recording this. We've got two more games in LA at Dodger stadium. So if you're in the Atlanta area, and you want to come out and hang out with some fellow Braves fans and watch those two games, come on out to the battery. We've been having a lot of fun with these watch parties out here in the plaza just outside Truist Park, starting with the series in Milwaukee and carrying on through this current series for the Dodgers. So come on out tonight, come on out tomorrow night. Hopefully these are the last two we play before making the World Series. We'll see how it goes. But for sure, we will have watch parties for tonight and tomorrow night, and those are a whole lot of fun. I think uh, you're... I know you and your wife were out here for some of them so far. Greg, is that right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. We had, we, had, we love the watch parties. Um, they're just a lot of fun, uh, hanging out with everybody, grabbing some Antico's pizza, putting our lawn chairs out there and watching on the big screen. The Braves activate, you know, we're activating the whole plaza there and got some Mark Owens is out and, uh, bloopers out there. So it's, it's a lot of fun. We've had a great
1: time. Awesome. Yeah. Blooper, Blooper and Mark Owens both always bring the energy 100% all day, every day. <laughs> for sure. So yeah, they're, they're good hosts for the party. That's for sure. See, Greg Mize and I, my boss, Greg Mize and I, we've been going with the Terrapin Wings here for our while. We've been working mm-hmm. the away games here at the watch parties, but I'm thinking tonight we're going to switch it up and go with Antico. That's sounding pretty good. There you me. go. All right. Can't we'll come lose. On that's right. Come on out to the battery. Uh cheer for the Braves here with a bunch of your other fellow Braves fans and uh you'll have a good time. Promise that. And hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, we're gonna see the Braves clinch another trip to the World Series here within the, the next 48 hours. So looking forward to it. Thanks again to Mike Stanton. For Greg McMichael, I'm Ricky Mast. We'll see you next week on Behind the Braves. Hey, Braves country, we just wanted to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe Behind the Braves on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or at Braves.com slash Behind the Braves, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Braves.